That song was penned by a woman who was blind named Fanny Crosby back in 1890. Her image is in our windows downstairs in our fellowship hall. She's part of our larger cloud of witness. It's interesting to me today to sing this song written by a blind lady and look out and see someone who's almost blind, know those words by heart, and sing them from the depths of her soul. It just brings it full circle. Thanks be to God. We invite our children to be dismissed now for uh, their time of worship if they've not done so already. We'll read one more passage of scripture from Exodus chapter 32 as our children are dismissed. The second reading from the book of Exodus comes as Moses is atop the mountain, Mount Sinai, receiving from God instruction and guidance on leading God's people, and they've been delayed, and so we hear the text beginning with verse 1 in chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed in coming down from the mountain, the people gathered around Aaron, the number two man, and said to him, come, make gods for us who shall go before us. As for this Moses, The man who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't know what's become of him. Aaron said to them, take off the gold rings that are on the ears of your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Yes, your sons wore earrings. And bring them to me. just want to make sure you all are paying attention. So all the people took off the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Aaron took the gold from them, formed it into a mold, and cast an image of a calf. And they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a festival to the Lord. They rose early the next day and offered their burnt offerings and brought sacrifices of well-being. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to revel. And up on the mountain, the Lord said to Moses, Go down at once. Your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have acted perversely. They have been quick to take aside, to turn aside from the way that I've commanded them. They have cast for themselves an image of of a calf, and they have worshipped it and sacrificed to it, and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, how stiff-necked they are. Now let me alone, so that my wrath may burn hot against them, and I may consume them, and of you I will make a great nation. But Moses implored the Lord, his God, and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people whom you brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that God brought them out to kill them, on the, kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce wrath. Change your mind and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, how you swore to them. To your own, by your own self, say to them, 
I will multiply your descendants like the stars of heaven. And all the land that I have promised, I will give to your, your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. And God changed God's mind about the disaster that God had planned to bring on God's people. An ancient story. An ancient story. Probably told before there was even writing. But now we hear it again, and may we hear in it and through it and all around it the word of our Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Use this ancient story and your spirit in this moment to do the work of love you would do in this community of faith and within each boy and girl, each individual in this space. Speak, Lord, your servants are listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So who's in charge around here? It's a question that gets asked when things don't go very well. Who's in charge around here? If you go to the Kentucky Center or the Brown Theater and things go well, it never occurs to you to say, who's in charge around here? I want to tell them, Kim Baker, Will Richards, that things went well. But if things don't go well, who's in charge around here? So who's in charge around here in this world we live in? This world that seems unsafe and in many ways unfamiliar to us, certainly unfriendly, unhealthy, and unharmonious. Who's in charge exactly? We've been reading the lectionary passages from the second book of the Bible, Exodus, that tells the story of a God. Unlike the Egyptian gods, this God is a God who comes to the slaves in Egypt and provides for them a way out of no way, provides for them a way out of no way, rescues them from Egypt, from Pharaoh and Pharaoh's army across the Red Sea, and now they find themselves in the wilderness. They know they're headed to the promised land. And remember, this is a story. This is about us. We're the children of Israel. We know we're headed to the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey, where everyone lives in peace and shalom. That's where we're headed. But it takes a journey to get there. And on the journey, everything seems new and strange. Including, and maybe especially, the freedom that comes from being liberated. For 400 years, these people have lived in slavery. So the the, the people that followed Moses into the wilderness, their parents, their grandparents, their great-grandparents, they had not known freedom. And suddenly, they're free. You ever gone to a youth lock-in where there's a bunch of sixth graders who for the very first time get to stay up all night and eat junk food and get all jacked up on Mountain Dew? (laughs) Sometimes freedom is not a good thing. (laughs) Some of you will recall going to college. Not only putting on that freshman 15 when you got the freedom to eat all the food in the cafeteria, but other things happen. Freedom is, well, it's complicated. 
get out of college, you get a job, you start making some money, you start spending the money, and before you know it, you've got a lot of debt, more than you can carry. Freedom, what do you, what do, you do with your freedom? Or maybe you rise up through the ranks and you become a supervisor and you're, you, have some, you have some power. What are you going to do? What kind of person are you going to be? What are we going to do with our freedom? Who's in charge around here? When Moses goes to the mountain, he discovers that this Yahweh God is not a God who just delivers some rules. Moses didn't go up to the mountain and God said, well, here are the rules, take them back down. What Moses discovers is that God, Yahweh, is a God of relationship, of dialogue, of discernment, of discovery. All of this takes time. But meanwhile, back at the ranch or down at the bottom of the hill, Moses has been gone too long. Cats away, the mice will play, out of sight, out of mind. I mean, really, what has Moses done for us lately, they say? He just got us free. And who believes in Moses' crazy God who loves and listens and changes God's mind and works toward love? Who believes in that God? And really, who wants to go to the effort of making this journey? We don't want a journey. We want Moses to come down from the mountain with a book entitled Seven Keys to Successful Nation Building and just give us the rules. Tell us how to do this. And so what they end up doing is regressing to that which feels familiar, safe. A golden calf, just like the Egyptian god of fertility. Let's make one for ourselves, one that we can see and hold and manipulate and coerce and bribe and trick and appease and handle. And today we don't have a golden cap, but we've got all kinds of ways that we try to handle life without God, without Yahweh. The way we do our lives, our industry, our power, the the, the notion that bigger is better and that might makes right, these are all gods of Egypt. In other words, it becomes a God that mirrors the culture, the system of the culture that the people live in. They kind of make God in their own image. But then along comes this Yahweh God who says, I'm going to go a different way. Come with me. Take this journey with me. And while Moses is up dialoguing with God, building this relationship, at the bottom of the mountain, they're getting impatient and they become fickle. And by the way, let's not miss the fact that the children of Israel are us. That's our role in this story. And we, the children of Israel, make two key mistakes. The first one is that the good old days really weren't that good. They had been slaves in Egypt, for goodness sake. They had no freedom of thought, no humanity, no individuality. But their image of those days is, oh, we had a lot to eat. We had had rules. We had roles. We knew our place. They want to regress to the good old days. The second mistake they make 
is the presumption that if you don't see anything happening on the mountain, you can come to the conclusion Moses must have left and God already slipped out the back door. God is not at work. We're on our own. Along comes Yahweh, who has no interest in bribes of sacrificed or burnt offerings as payment. What this Yahweh is interested in has always been interested in and continues to be interested in is growing people to be the people of God, to be mature and self-giving and wise and kind and to stand for God's justice. And so Moses comes down from the mountain with these beautiful commandments of God. The, the text says that the, the tablets were written on both sides, like a, like a kid at school who turns his paper and writes on both sides. The tablets are written on both sides. And they say this. Keep life sacred. Keep life beautiful. Don't follow the old patterns. Follow this new way of justice and equity and safety and harmony and abundance and even good hygiene. A whole lot of these commands, the the secondary commands, are about hygiene, what to eat, what to wear, how to dress, when, when to go in and out of certain places. It's about health because human health and bodies are important. The commandments call for balance. Keep the Sabbath holy, not just as a day off, but as a rhythm to your life, a sacred way, which is really the only way. I know we've created these buildings and these churches that make it look like in and out, but really what we say here and the values of the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the God of Jesus Christ really are the way the world can be ordered to bring harmony and peace. As our marquee says this morning, only love can cure violence. If you've got any other ideas, bring them on. But for me, only love, God's love, can cure violence. So this isn't just about Ten Commandments for the children of Israel. This is about how humanity can live in harmony and in abundance. Come, says God, be my people. Be my people. Take on my characteristics, my values, my vision, my mission for what God wants done in the world. You take it on and embody it, for this is God's way. And out of God's way, a way is formed where no way seemed possible. We've experienced it here at Highland. Over the years, we've had moments where it seemed like there was an intractable problem that we could could not get past. And every time, a way has been found out of no way. Back in the 1980s, this church had someone raised the question, what about having women serve in the role of deacons and not just men? Well, for 100 years... Highland Baptist Church had only had men as deacons. And in fact, most Baptist churches had only had men as deacons. And so you know what the church did? In their own way, they went up to the mountain and dialogued with God 
and trusted that relationship and read the scripture and prayed together and listened and discerned. And finally, they came to the point where they said, we propose that women be allowed to serve as deacons and ministers of this church. They had a vote in our fellowship hall. It was a Wednesday night and it was packed. And the vote was close. But the vote, but the motion passed and women were allowed, invited to serve in this role. When the tally was announced and the decision was made, Bill Goodell, a longtime member of this church, stood up and he said to the congregation, you know, I didn't vote for this, but this is my church and I love this church. And I want to ask us to stand up together and join hands, those who voted for it and those who voted against it, And let's sing the old Baptist hymn, Blessed be the tie that binds our hearts in Christian love. We had another moment similar to that just not many years ago when the church made the decision to move from a don't ask, don't tell policy to full inclusion of the LGBT community. The critics said, this will kill Highland Baptist Church. But the church went up to the mountain again, and we prayed, and we talked to God, and we read the scripture, the word of God, and we we wrestled with it, and we talked together, and finally, we decided that we didn't even need to decide, that God had already decided that all are welcome. And the critics said, this will kill Highland Baptist Church. And I just say, Conway, if you could see us now, baby, we are a church Bill Goodell, if you could see us now, if you could look at our staff, we are the church. And this is exactly what I believe God will do into the future of Highland. As we address issues of race and immigration, it seems like there's no way. These issues seem intractable. They seem impossible. They're historic. But we believe in a God who makes a way out of no way. Not just on the big issues, but on the issues of your life, where you feel stuck and dehumanized and where you feel enslaved by something. God can come. I'm telling you, as a testimony, God can come in the midst of where you find yourself and bring you into a space that is right and good and true. For God, the mystical presence of love The power of love is never done. So if we had time, if we had time, we'd read the rest of Exodus chapter 32, and we'd hear this crazy story about how Moses comes down from the mountain, how he's so mad at the people. Do you remember how he told God, don't be mad at the people? When Moses comes down and sees the people partying, he's so mad that he takes the Ten Commandments and smashes them on the ground. Then he takes, well, he asks first, who's in charge here? And I love this line. Aaron's like, well, the people came to me, and they gave me this ring, and we put it in the fire, and out popped this calf. You just just couldn't believe it. Man, you talk about a whopper. And Moses is so mad that he grinds the golden calf into dust and mixes it with the water and forces the people to drink it to say, really, a God? How's that taste? Where's it going to be in a few hours? 
It's an Old Testament story. Of course, it's an Old Testament story. Wouldn't be complete without some killing. So they go out and they kill all the worshipers in this graphic way. But it's a way to say in this ancient story, this stuff will kill you. When you go against God's way, it'll kill you. But if you'll trust, God will make a way where there appears to be no way. Let's pray together. May each one of us, in our own way, take the scripture, the sermon, the songs, the silence, the spirit of this room, and now respond to you, great mystery of life, who has met in the cleft of the rock, who's met high on the mountain, who's met in beautiful spaces like this, who is met when we open our hearts to you, no matter where we are, what we've done, where we've been, you will lead us into the way. Thank you. In your holy name we pray. Amen.